When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Tracy Malone about the emotions behind the idealization, devaluation, and discard phases of abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Tracy Malone. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to see you. Well, it's great to see you, and if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions there, and then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com, or just fill out the form and press the Submit button, and please send it in the actual form that we ask for. Thank you. And Tracy Malone. If you have not heard of Tracy, Tracy's been on an episode with us before, so you can go back in the archive and look that one up. Tracy is an author. She is a survivor of narcissistic abuse. She's an international educator and can be found at NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. That will be in the show notes. And Tracy, you have a new journal out that is called My Story of Narcissistic Abuse. And this journal helps you put the pieces of the puzzle together of the situation that you are in, because it's very difficult to kind of figure out what was going on, everything. So from the actions to understanding your feelings, and it's there to help you process everything. And we are going to discuss that journal. And we're also going to be discussing the idealization phase and the devaluation phase and the discard phase. So uh, Tracy, a big thank you once again for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So before we get to the abuse aspect of things, let's just discuss idealization because uh, abusers aren't the only ones that idealize people. So what is idealization and why do we idealize? So idealization is a psychological and biochemical process that happens when we create a positive illusion about another person. We exaggerate their virtues and we ignore their flaws. 
And when we begin to fall in love, we tend to feel a strong tendency to idealize seeing our love interest as a little bit more talented or beautiful or charming than they actually might be. So a lot of people might do this at the beginning of a relationship in the honeymoon period. Uh, Some people will eventually see the imperfections and either decide that these imperfections aren't for me or they know that these are their imperfections. They love someone. They love that person in spite of their flaws, which everyone has. They know those flaws are there and they don't have blinders on. And then there's some of us who uh, the idealization does continue. Some people idealize out of fear, not ready to face the fact that this person they're with is not perfect. Others may idealize because they want to validate their past decisions or or their past parts of their, their life. So in psychology, many people in the field think that idealization in these cases is a defense mechanism and that the person who is idealizing is focusing on an outcome. So an outcome in your life might be, well, I, I want a house and two kids. That can be an outcome. Um, this person looks like they want to travel the world together. I want to travel the world. That is an outcome I'm looking forward to. Something like, I can't save myself on my own. This person is saving me and will continue to do so. I like this. That is also an outcome. So these outcomes get in the way of saying, hey, this person has flaws. And you'll see eventually when we start talking to Tracy a little bit more here that with covert abusers, this becomes uh, more difficult. But we will get there in a second, everyone. So just wait a little bit. So these things are formed when we are kids. So people who idealize usually have basic needs that are unmet when they are a child. They have emotionally unavailable parents, possibly. Uh, There might have been other siblings in the home that might have been more important than you. You might have been trying to survive in the chaos of your home and in trying to make sense of that chaos. You really didn't lay blame on others within that chaos. You most likely internalized it yourself instead and saying things to yourself like, I'm not good enough. I made this happen. So you start saying, let me change what I'm doing or let me change the way that I am thinking. So you're trying to make things work. You're changing the narrative of what is actually going on and you stop looking at the facts like maybe this person isn't good for me. And this can really start to cause a problem when you're going into a relationship if you do get into a relationship with an abuser eventually. So you start looking to that person you have idealized to validate you and only them to do so. And you start to look at the other person as potential in a lot of cases. So you start to look past things because you're looking at quote unquote potential. So what is potential? And potential can be two things, the potential of what you think the person can be, but also the potential for you to meet your end goal, your end outcome. So in a lot of cases, the end outcome could be I'm lovable or that I'm good enough. And in these cases, you're trying to rewrite what has happened in your childhood, your unmet needs. So in the process of seeing potential and putting that potential on someone else, you might start to neglect your own needs and you can see how this can get you into trouble when you're in an abusive relationship. And you stop looking to see if the person that you're with 
uh, really has uh, the character or values that you align with and your blinders are really like really put up because of this potential. So now that we've really kind of dug in a little bit on idealization and how uh, a lot of people can be uh, idealizers uh, without being abusers, let's now flip it back onto the abuser and uh, get uh, Tracy Malone in here. Let's talk about abusers and idealization to begin with. Sure. So, uh, uh, you know, an abusive narcissist um, rushes intimacy. If, if, if we're talking about a, a relationship versus a family member here, right, uh, that we're going under that assumption, it's a relationship at the moment, but um, they rush intimacy, they, um, they become mirrors of everything that you like and your passions. If you have a dog with one blue eye and three legs, I used to have that dog. You know, it, 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 the similarities, it becomes where they are just building the mask again, based on everything that you're looking for. Um, they will also share victim stories. So they tap into your, in, your into your empathy and um, you know, almost in in the same way of, of sort of like camaraderie of, oh, I've been there. I would never cheat on me. My ex cheated. So they're giving you everything that you want to hear. And um, while they're doing that, again, they're mirroring everything you like. Um, they always go into the soulmate um, and twin flames conversations, right? They rush this, they future fake. They are sitting there, you know, you've only known them a month, but they've never known anyone as wonderful as you and can't imagine not being married to you. And let's move in. I mean, it, it just happens so fast that it's not the normal part, right? Um, and under the guise of love, they start to take ownership of you. They monopolize your time and they isolate you from your friends. This is in the very beginning and you're just like, this is amazing. And you sit there and just go along with it because you don't want it to stop. And all of a sudden you're sitting there without your friends, without your family. Um, you know, they are very grandiose in the love bombing stage, in that idealized stage where the gestures are over the top. Um, you know, billboards have been put up and I just love this person so much. It's amazing, right? The extravagant gifts, the dates, the trips, and then it starts to wean off, right? Everything is has been perfect and they couldn't get enough of you. And then suddenly it starts to change. Um, but that's that's basically the, the rundown of the behaviors we would see from a narcissist. And in relation to someone who... Uh you know, the victim in, in this case, they might have their own idealiza idealization of this person at the exact same time, because this person is actually mirroring um, their core basic fears, their basic desires, all the things that they may not have had uh, previously. But we also do get people that didn't come from these uh, traumatic uh, backgrounds as well, but they might have a belief of this is the type of family I want. Uh, this is the type of life I eventually want to lead. As I said earlier, when it came to, you know, traveling the world. So in, in a lot of cases, when the future faking is a big part of the manipulation tactic for some people that has nothing to do with previous like, trauma at all coming into the relationship, you know, that is where you're, you're getting caught into this uh, thing 
And this can go on for a bit of time. The idealization stage can be very, very short. Or this could go on for a certain amount of time because sometimes these things are very difficult to see what is going on. And eventually you do end up um, starting to see the that you are being devalued, but they've done such a good job at this point that there you saw the potential, as I mentioned earlier. You fell in love with potential. potential. Right? Yes. And, and, it, and it, it doesn't even necessarily mean this was the hook to get you. They, they might not be the person they're representing themselves as if they are a narcissist, right? It's a mask they're building for you. But you have fallen in love with the fantasy of, oh, we'll have that white picket fence. And, oh, they're cute. So they'll make a nice father or a nice, uh, beautiful mom. We'll have babies that are cute, right? You start to build all of these fantasies in your mind based on what they're telling you. The sad part in narcissistic relationship is all of that is fake. It is how they hook you. It is how they trap you. And it's really hard for victims to let go of that because they believe that lie. They believe and and we strive the rest of the relationship to get that person back in the room because that person's gone after a certain period. But you're like, wait, no, if I just do this, then that nice person will come back. So this leads us to, you know, the devaluation uh, part of everything. So take it away. All right. So the, the the cycle we have to remember is not linear. It's not idealized, devalued, discard. It is circular. It just keeps going around and around. And in each different section, um, you're going to have a different experience because in the beginning of this new love that we were just describing, um, the devalue comes on so stealthily Victims don't know what's happening. It's just all of a sudden you load the dishwasher wrong or did you really need to, you know, keep that yogurt that's in the refrigerator? You know, it's expired. They start to pick, pick, pick. And the person who thought everything you did was the best in the world, you're starting to go, what was that? They start to not honor your boundaries, right? They start to just do little tiny things. So it's so subtle that you don't even see it. And that's how it escalates. It starts out where it's just little pick. Maybe you won't hear another pick for two weeks. You won't hear another, you know, critique or you're just like the way you said that to me really hurt me or whatever they're going to do. They're going to do it very subtly so that we it's a slow drip. You've heard about the frog in the pot of boiling water, right? If they go into like cold water and then we turn up the heat, they will boil to death. That's what's happening here is so subtle that we're not even seeing it. But when it happens, we start to question. And what the reason that narcissists do this sort of devalue stage is to get you back in line. They want 100% of your attention. They want you to be doting on them all the time. So if they tell you that you, you know, you weren't texting me enough or, you, you know, you, whatever it is that they're picking on you, we try harder. We adjust and we go, you know what? Maybe I was mean that day. I'll I'll work on myself. So they're building us into little robots that when they say jump, we do. And we jump with our love and with our attention because at, at the point, we are still wanting that person back that we met in the love bombing stage. So it must be us. They're telling us it's us and it must be us. So the, the devalue is, is something that begins in a very slow way. 
but over time it changes, right? Um, when you've been in a, a marriage, for example, the cycle still continues. You just don't have that crazy love bombing that you had with un- unbelievable attention and lavish gifts and all the other stuff. It starts to ebb and flow to the point where the devalue becomes more of the pie of time and the, you know, the, 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 the happy parts, the idealizing is just that they're not like a really nasty person. They're just nice. It's not back to like a great person you saw in the beginning. It is just back and they're not as cruel. And then we accept that and the bar just go lower and lower. So when it comes to this stage, Uh, When I am prepping people to be on our Survivor Story show, I always say to them, well, a lot of people who are listening are unable to describe their feelings. They're unable to describe their emotions. And it's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do. They've been in this situation for uh, a long time, they don't know what is what, and it's hard for them to dig and, and and get that. So I ask people to really try to not just say I was sad, or not just say you know I was angry. I want them to try as hard as they can when they're recording with me to describe that sadness, describe how deep it can go. Describe where, how angry you were, not just that word. So they can translate that to other people so people can grab onto it. So they can tell themselves, you know, this, oh, that's how I felt. It wasn't just one word anymore. And, you know, and then I can also take that and I can describe it to someone else. So someone else could now relate to my story and what I'm telling them in a different way. Oh, you were in a scary situation in a really terrifying situation. And that person may begin to give a little bit more empathy, uh, more validation, more help to what you were going through. And that vocabulary and that need to understand your own emotions is very important. So with your a journal, when it comes to this, uh, I guess, how are you kind of going about specifically in this section? You know, because the discard will be its own thing. But it, it, specifically in the devaluation part where there's a lot of scary things happening and it's really hard to understand uh, what you're going through. How are you using uh, the journal to get people to these levels that mm-hmm. they need to get to? To go deeper. Yeah. So exactly what you're saying is what I tell clients. I I have them envision we've all been in some hospital room or doctor's office where there's a pain scale. Are you a one? Are you a 10? Are you a four? Okay. And it's sort of what you're doing is you're, you're getting them grounded to what level their pain, whether it's sadness or, or hurt or whatever. Um, I go one step further in these books is to go, what's behind the anger or the sadness or whatever it is. It's it, you got sad, but why did that make you sad? Right. And, and I have all these instructions in there, but it's, it's sort of like, how do I feel? It's not what I felt. 
of how do I feel? It's different. I, I feel powerless. I feel controlled. I feel ignored. I feel unloved. I feel forgotten. I feel like I couldn't speak up. So silenced. I feel trapped. If we really tie those together with the feeling on that one to 10 scale, like you're talking about, um, you have that, why did it hurt? So if every if time someone makes you feel like a bad guy, you then look at going, well, what, what, what's my coping mechanism for when I feel these things? How do I deal with it? Do I go have a glass of wine? Do I take a bath? Do I go for a run? Like you have to know what your recovery best modality is. So that when, again, they often repeat the same thing and repeat the same feeling. They might have, you know, let's say, you know, I felt controlled. There's a million different ways they can control you, right? But it's it's you finding those words as opposed to just the emotions because the emotions are sad and this and anger. But when you go, but I'm always sad when someone tries to control me or does this, then you see that it was the control that made you there. And you start to be able to pluck apart the different pieces of your story to have a better answer so that you can kind of start to process it better. And when it comes to processing, you said before that everything is not everything is nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with what do you say to the people who are trying to do it on a linear path, um, and that kind of getting in the way as far as their healing process goes? Yeah. Well, unfortunately. That takes education, right? It's it's it isn't that it, you're gonna it, they're gonna get over this stage and then we'll, you know all of a sudden we're gonna be discarded. A lot of, of victims and, and I I was with a bunch of my old friends from my original support group um, recently, and one of them was like, you know, she was just starting to date, and the first thing she she said to all of us, she's like, the man opened the door. And I said, love bombing. And I ran away from the date. Like they're just so freaked out by the potential of someone just being kind. We haven't seen the other love bombing tactics. As you explained in the beginning, this is part of normal love, right? It's the, it's somebody to open your door is a good thing, but to a, a survivor that equates in their head and shows she wasn't healed, um, that she was so afraid of that happening instead of just going I want a few more things on the list to see if that was love bombing, right? I want to see if like someone could love you and have all those intense feelings and be consistent for the next 20 years. Then it wasn't love bombing. It was just who they were and how they wanted to show you your love. With a narcissist, it always changes. That's what you have to remember here, folks, is a, a love bombing, you know, Yes, it's different in the beginning, new love and all that fun stuff. And it does wean back to normal life, but they don't completely change. You don't become the enemy. Like in a narcissistic thing, you know, it's just, it, it goes right to you're wrong. You did this wrong. And, and, and this attacks, that's what the difference is between normal idealizing and, and going into with a relationship with a narcissist. And as we've said many times on this show, uh, Red flags aren't red flags until they become a pattern uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of those. So sometimes you just kind of have to sit there with your uh, pen and your paper and you're taking your own notes and you're like, okay, that one, that's okay, sure. And then you kind of go along, okay, that's enough. 
and then you can kind of go on. But it, it takes a little bit to figure out that a pattern is, is, is being formed. Yeah. So when it now comes to the discard phase, take us through the discard. Uh, can we say ugly? Can we say hurtful? Can we say, um, you know, you can't make this shit up? Like it's always with drama, right? It is always at a place where they are, um, you know, you are the bad guy, um, you know, they lie, obviously, but, but, you know, they're, they're telling you things like you're crazy. You need help. You know, I was never like this before you came into my life. Um, you just love drama and thrive on it when the truth is completely opposite. Right. Um, you know, they pull away and if they ghosted you, which is a very common thing in the, the devalue stage where, Hey, I used to get like 24 seven access to this person and suddenly they're too busy or they ghost you and things like that. But in the discard stage, that ghosting gets ramped up. It gets longer periods. Like wives don't see their husband for three weeks at a time. And like, that's like, even though the discard stage could mean goodbye, I'm getting a divorce or we're just ending this relationship. It also cycles around if you actually are married with them or that discard stage isn't the permanence, but it's still the, the torture of not talking to you for two weeks or walking away from the family. Right. Um, they often cheat. Um, narcissists are pretty famous for that. Not all of them do, but you know, there's a fair amount of them that you'll start to find that. But everything is all your fault. Um, the gaslighting intensifies. They start to use your friends against you, the flying monkey brigade, right? They are starting to bring that in. Um, if it does get to the the grand finale of this all, it is usually, you know, something that is epic. It is leaving you on a plane in Europe. It is just the most horrific things that you could have never imagined anyone would do, much less the person you were in love with. So the discard stage is really disheartening because you're heartbroken. Um, many people in this stage feel like they could be in danger, right? There's just um, this feeling that they've lost who they are because all of that gaslighting and other parts in the earlier stages and for the victim this part starts the rumination process where they sit there and they look at those memories we were talking about and if they have the tools to sit there and go and, and this is what I do as a coach right I'm connecting the dots they tell me a story and I'm like okay bing 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 and they go oh right because it was so overwhelmingly hurtful they didn't understand it. So when you start to put the words together with it, um, you start to be able to get them to heal from it. But the discard is really ugly. You have this pain that is going on of cycles within in this of you're feeling like you're discarded before you're even discarded. Mm -hmm. You're off balance in in a lot of ways. And at the same time, um, you also will eventually deal with the aftermath of being discarded, trying to figure out what has actually happened. And you have the ruminating thoughts, which becomes a really big thing at this point. So how, how is your book helping them try and process the rumination in the discard? And um, understanding, I guess, what has happened besides the actual feelings. 
Yeah. So it's 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 really interesting because the rumination that happens in this state, because we don't really ruminate during the, the love bombing. We're just like, ah, it's so wonderful. Right. We don't sit there and think about, wait, wait remember that time when we we're on vacation? Right. The rumination happens in the end because you're trying to figure out what is happening. So it's not just the memories from that period, which will, you know, they are just blow up crazy, but it's also like, but we just went on vacation a week ago and everything was fine. And they're holding on to that and going, how did we get home from vacation? And he asked for a divorce, right? It is ruminating the old thoughts, the things that are confusing so and that's what we, we we don't ruminate like let me think about this it just comes to us because they're like well remember the time when we went on vacation and you know he was walking 70 feet ahead of me and and I couldn't catch up with him and like then those start to come into your your mind and you process those because you you get to a point where those things are what's holding you attached to them and so it's sometimes the good memories, like, again, the vacation was just last week. We had a great time. I don't understand how they could want a divorce, right? That's the, the memories we have to process, not only the bad things that we've seen, but as we process the good memories and go, you know what, that was a really great vacation, but, you know, come to think of it, I couldn't do anything right on the trip. I didn't get the right tickets. I didn't do this. I was should have done that. I could have done that. We start to look at those things in hindsight, which help us explain how we got here. Because the discard is usually wank, just surprise. I didn't know what was happening. And you get hit with a brick and you don't understand it. So as they're ruminating, they're they're walking to work, thinking about these other times, not only the 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 grand finale, whatever just happened that was crazy. But also like, but again, but there were these good times. And for 26 years, we were happy what happened, right? So you have to look at those memories and put them into the place so that you're processing and going, wow, that, that's true. There was some gaslighting on that. And, and here's how I reacted. And here's how I felt because it's just clearing the board of all those memories so that you can actually move on and understand where you are in that discard stage and maybe facing divorce or a breakup. And also your journal for people that weren't discarded. This is also for people that uh, broke up before they were uh, discarded as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's it's for families. I mean, it's it doesn't matter that it is a relationship because there's still the stages. It's still like there were the good times, there were the bad times. You were the bad guy. There's all of those parts in every relationship. So, you know, I've got one book here on my desk that I call "They That Shall Not Be Named," and it is strictly my journal dedicated to figuring out memories from my in-laws. Like I just saw as I started to practice and look at these memories and went, wow, that was even bigger than I thought. It was a horrible thought of something I remembered, but there was gaslighting, there was lying, there was, you know, invalidation, there was name calling. And, and all of a sudden you see that from a different perspective, that one memory that's haunting you. That's what this book is for. The haunting memories that you want to figure out, you get them on paper and then you follow the steps to go, what was I feeling? What am I holding on to? Why can't I put this memory down? Because I'm confused. I don't understand it, right? I'm confused, but here's what it was. And you learn the truth. And then you can start to learn to let go of it. 
for me, it has been an amazing tool. And it's it's basically what I would do to my clients, right? You're talking about therapy in a book. And it's it happens to be beautiful because it's color, but it is it's laid out with tabs. This is the devalue stage. And you just go back and go, I have that thought. You know, really, what was that thought? Was that the beginning of the devalue stage? Um, because they said these horrible things to me or they they made me feel this way just start to plot them into the places and you start to see the picture, right? The feelings you have in the love bombing stage are not the ones you have in the middle uh, or at the end. At the middle, it's usually confusion. It's like, why do they do that? And then we step up and go, oh, in this particular case, they said I was a bad this, so I tried harder, but it was never enough, right? And when you come to that conclusion in that one memory, you can start to learn to let go of that memory and go, okay, I was enough and I didn't do what they're saying. And that validates you by hearing it to yourself on paper. Well, Tracy Malone, thank you for, you know, and really enlightening everyone today, uh, giving everyone uh, a real education. So a really big thank you. And what are you up to uh, these days, besides releasing one of your many journals. Um, and anyone, if you want to actually really educate yourself, go to your website at NarcissistAbuseSupport.com. I go there. <laughs> I do some extra reading there. So um, what else do you have uh, coming up? Um, I think, well, let's see, there's two big things. I've been working on a parenting plan course for about uh, two years. And uh, I thought I would release it shortly after my book, which is now coming up on a year anniversary, but it just exploded. I was like, no, 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 we have to have every situation. So that's been time consuming, but um, I have 50 videos left to, to record for it. There's 50 modules. There's about 100 worksheets. So that's been time consuming, but we're getting really close to that as a launch. Um, on the exciting news, I've been asked to be interviewed for a uh, series of interviews done by Amy Redford, so Robert Redford's daughter. Um, I'm being flown out in a few weeks to Utah with, you know, three cameramen and directors and producers and uh, hair and makeup. <laughs> and so um, it's going to reach a lot of people. And I'm so honored to be able to uh, be interviewed like that. So once again, Tracy, a big thank you. Uh, I'm going to leave all of your information in our show notes for people to reach out to you. You also do coaching as well. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of the instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it, in, send it to us in the form that we ask for. 
also at our website. We have our very own Safe Social Network. It's our support group at the top of the page of NarcissistApocalypse.com. You click on that support group button, and inside you'll find that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post and for your peers, other survivors to to respond and, and support you and to validate your experience. We have ad-free episodes and we also have episodes that never made it to air. So please do join our support group today if you need support. And if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. There you can find articles and resources to help you make sense of of what you're going through. They have the email addresses, the websites, and also phone numbers of every shelter, uh, every agency, no matter how big your your city is or how small your town is, they have everything there. Domesticshelters.org is a great resource. It is free, so please do go visit them if you need even more support. And that is it for today's show. So from myself and Tracy Malone, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>